This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Today we've got a guest from the UK and it's very early in the morning for her. It's 6am. She's gotten up so that we can have a chat so that it's quiet in the background for her. Uh, she's going to talk today about how she's been able to completely avoid having to take any of the rheumatoid arthritis medications at all. So she's had the disease for several years. It's not like it's only just come about. Um, symptoms were worsening and then she's been able to follow the Patterson program and not have to take medications. And it's a really, really feel good, exciting uh, situation. So I'd like to welcome Laura onto our episode. G'day, Hi. Laura. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really cool. We got your email update and we thought, let's get you on and tell your story. So uh, before we get into all the details behind it and uh, and so on, can you just give us the the sort of the, the TV commercial kind of result before and after? Sure. So I started getting symptoms about five years ago when I was 24, 25. And then two years ago, after having my daughter, I had a massive flare up. I couldn't do much. Um, I couldn't really sleep because of the pain moving in bed. When I got up, it would take me ages to get up. Couldn't get in and out of the bath. The kind of typical story. Um, couldn't put my makeup on. Couldn't drive some days. Couldn't work some days. Um, so, yeah, I was in a pretty bad state. Um, it kind of hit me all at once. And then now, I hardly have any pain, maybe a tiny ache in my finger here and there, but my CRP is under one. So um, I don't have to see the rheumatologist for another 12 months and I don't have to take methotrexate. <laughs> so yeah, amazing results really. Yes. Well, it's you know wonderful to hear and we're looking forward to getting into all the details and also you know, I want to pick your brains about um, the things that worked for you the most. Uh, I want this to be really valuable for people who are following the program and and just get your insights into what are the non-negotiables and what are the things that you think are, are not as important. So um, we'll, we'll get on to that shortly, but let's just explore a little bit more about how your disease came about and if you have any theories as to what might have caused it, if you had antibiotics as a child or a teenager too much too often um, or whether or not there were some other potential causes you might have in your mind and then we'll look at this recommendations from the doctors and how you'll manage to avoid those right up until you know we pick up where you started our program and so on. Okay yeah sure um, so as a child I did have antibiotics not like you did where it was continual for a long time but I did take it I mean I've talked to my partner about this and he hardly ever had antibiotics as a child. And so I, at the time, I just thought it was normal to go to the doctors and get antibiotics, different things. So, yeah, I do think I did take it probably more than a regular person. And then when I was 16, I started getting stomach problems and I ended up going to uh, see a specialist because I had a small allergic reaction to something. And they did a skin test and it, one of them was wheat as well as a couple of types of nuts. So I stopped 
having wheat, but I did eat a very poor diet, lots of cheese, meat, processed food, all the like typical Western things. And then um, I had a big allergic reaction in my 20s where I ended up in hospital and didn't know what it was from. So I'd had some sort of immune type problems. I um, then had stomach problems again. And then when I was 24, 25, started getting fingers just locking, um, which they said was trigger finger at first. I remember my first appointment saying, I think my stomach is linked to my hand Mm. because it was so tightly connected. Like I'd have stomach problems and then my fingers would play up. And they were like, no, 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 absolutely not linked at all. Like it's completely separate. But just knowing your own body, I just knew that it was too connected it's too obvious and then this went on and it slowly got a bit worse but manageable my toes and my hands but I was very active at the time so I think that helped Mm. and then I started looking into diet because of my stomach so I came across like Dr McDougall Dr Gregor quite early on in my journey so I started reading about plant-based diet quite early on and I started implementing getting rid of meat and dairy, but it took me a long time. But I think that's what's really helped slow the progression, possibly in the beginning, is that I went on to quite a fairly healthy diet, but I still had a lot of oil in my diet. Um, I hadn't quite made connections with a few things. And then um, I had my little girl and I'd been to the rheumatologist, but and I'd shown positive for Okay, get this right. Zero positive. So I was positive for anti-CCP. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so you were diagnosed with seropositive rheumatoid arthritis um, with yeah. elevated anti-CCP. And what about rheumatoid factor? Yes, I believe so. I was going through my notes and I couldn't see where he'd written that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I remember him telling me, like a number, like 300 or something. I can't, yeah, don't know if often the sense. rheumatoid factor when it's up can be just skyrocketed right up. It, they, that number could quite well be, be, be the case. Okay, so you got the diagnosis and uh, what did the rheumatologist want to do right away? So um, right away he started talking about methotrexate or mm-hmm. sulfasalazine. Sulfa yep. <laughs> and he gave me some leaflets on it. Yep. And then just said, because your C- CRP is still um, okay. And because my ultrasound was okay, we're not going to officially diagnose you, but we need to keep an eye on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got pregnant. And in the first trimester, it got worse. And I had an ultrasound on my hands and feet, and it showed inflammation. But the second and third trimester, it completely went mm. like completely. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing. And so I took it as an opportunity to <laughs> eat what I wanted <laughs> pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I know I should be healthy in pregnancy and I had that in mind, but still like, I was like, Oh, I'll have a portion of chips or go out for a curry and just make the most of it. Uh, cause my stomach problems are great as well. And I felt good. Yeah. So, um, which in hindsight was probably the worst thing to do. And then after I had my little girl, I had three lots of antibiotics within two months Mm -hmm. for bladder infections. And Mm. then I had two big allergic reactions and ended up in hospital again. And so obviously my immune system was just going a bit 
crazy. And then I um, about 10 weeks after having her, I had a massive flare up. And that was the first time that I realized, okay, this is what arthritis can be like. (laughs) I'd been really lucky until then. And then I was suddenly like, oh my gosh, like this is, I need to take this seriously. So I went back to the rheumatologist. And by the time I went back a few weeks later, I'd started implementing some of the stuff I knew from Dr. McDougall and and stuff, but I, I still hadn't still connected all the dots. So I was feeling a bit better, but my CRP was 12. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, you know, I want to try and do this with diet. I've read you can. I haven't quite made the connection quite yet, but I want to. And he just said, diet does not affect arthritis and it's not like diabetes. So he kind of brushed it to the side and just said, because you're breastfeeding, I can't put you on anything. But as if you'll get worse, you need to stop and come on the drugs, basically. Mm-hmm. But I was determined to use breastfeeding. I wanted to breastfeed, but also because I wanted to kind of give myself some time yeah. to try other options. Yeah. yeah, I can understand that. It's sort of, in a way, it provides you with an excuse or a convenient period where you can take advantage of of not having the medical pressure because they have rules as well and they say look you're breastfeeding we need to wait okay so you've you've decided that you've got a, a, a period of time here so what did you do so i did more research i read like the starch solution and looked at more st- i still hadn't quite found you yet or the patterson program yet unfortunately and because the other doctors talk about a plant-based diet but it's not so guided towards specifically arthritis I was cleaning up my diet but again I was I wasn't cooking with oil but I hadn't really realized that like I'd buy a packet of rice and it'd have oil in it or I would just go I was occasionally okay to have like some dairy I hadn't really realized how strict you need to be so I was seeing some good results but then I'd have a little bit of a relapse and then the next summer I went to him and it was my CRP was at nine my knees were quite bad I'd had one knee in particular, I struggled to get up the stairs. And then in the August, last August, just before I found your program, I had a lot of stress and I went out to eat and I think the food had, I wasn't being very careful. I think it had um, dairy in it and it definitely had a lot of oil Mm. and it just hit me massively. I was house sitting and I just remember thinking, oh my God, I wish I was at home. I can't do anything. And um, I had to have some time off work, which was devastating because I felt like I had it under control till then. Even though I was in a bit of pain, I felt like I was not letting it beat me. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I had to stop work, I felt like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's got hold of me and I don't want this. I need to live my life. Can I just clarify that you can pinpoint that one restaurant meal as really exacerbating your symptoms? Yeah. So I'd gone out for um, a family meal and I don't know, at the time I was still struggling with social pressures. Mm. Like when you feel like you don't want to just not eat and you don't want to make too much of a fuss. So I was like, as long as I have meat in it, I'll just have it. It was like a curry type meal. But I think the sauce probably was a bit creamier than I thought. And it obviously was quite oily. Mm. And my stomach was bad that afternoon after eating it. 
Um, so after that. There's an example of um, someone in our uh, support group right now who had the exact same thing happen to her about two weeks ago. Same oh, story wow. as yourself, was able to avoid medications completely, uh, doing fabulous, mostly pain-free days, went out to a restaurant. Um, no, sorry, my mistake. Um, had a couple of muffins made by one of her friends that had coconut oil in the muffins, and it's taken her a good part of a week uh, to suppress the inflammation again after crushing it for 12 months and then a couple of muffins with coconut oil in it. And uh, she's, uh, you know, it really, really gave her a, uh, a wake up call and a, and a bit of a fright. Uh, now she's back on track again. So it, it goes to show just how sensitive the body is. And I cannot emphasize enough the dangers of oils. In your case, far worse, because in going out to restaurants, what happens is they use oils that are uh, used over and over again in many cases, and certainly for things like anything that's deep fried, especially French fries and stuff. And every time you refry or reheat an oil, it uh, heightens the free radical um, component and the, um, the amount of oxidation it can do to the body. So you're not talking about, you're not comparing an olive oil that you put on a salad at home to an oil, the same amount of damage that you get from an oil in some hot chips at a restaurant. The hot chips at a restaurant, they are going to tear you apart. And it's, uh, it just causes in, an immediate amount of oxidative stress that just cascades in the body that takes, can take a very long time to recover from. So, you know, unfortunately, the, the facts of the matter are with an autoimmune condition, oils at restaurants are the most dangerous thing in our life. Like you probably wouldn't have had the yeah. same reaction by having a steak as what you did from having an oily curry. I really seriously mean that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's crazy because our enemy is not the enemy of most people and they don't understand and every restaurant cooks with oil in it. And we say, well, how are we meant to ever go out to a restaurant? Well, you can get to a point where you can tolerate a little bit of oil. And whilst the ideal amount is zero, you know, it is possible to, to tolerate a little bit here and there. And we've had takeouts over the years uh, many times, but not frequently, not like twice a week. I'm talking like once here yeah. and there, um, because I can tell because I rub my lips together like that. And I can tell if a meal has oil in it because your lips should not slide when they're rubbing together something's foreign right uh in yeah the meal. yeah so anyway i just wanted to share that story about another um person that um that i work closely with and she's yeah. probably going to come on our podcast and share her story soon as well and like yourself um had that experience uh and i i've, so I've had similar things too you know the the oily restaurants if ever there's a time yeah. when someone's going to get messed up it's going to be at a restaurant eating consuming the oils from a restaurant that's the reality. I'm yeah, afraid. I wish worth it. Was. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it was a good lesson, really, because it made me really think I need to take this seriously. Like, I cannot have this again because I know that next time I go back, I will be on methotrexate and I'm going to just have to go down that route. I have no option. Mm -hmm. I can't have my, I can't live like this. Mm -hmm. So I found your interview with Dr. McDougall. I think that's how I found you. Mm hmm. And I then just binge watched all the uh, other videos and all the people that have done really well. And I was like, gosh, if they can do it, then, you know, then there's hope. 
So I bought your program and I read it so quickly. I was like, I need to read this so quick because I want to get onto it. I want to start like now. Um, I want to get better. So I was really strict, did exactly and he did the two days with just the juice and then went on to the baseline diet and really slowly introduced. Mm. The first um, two days, I would say after that, my inflammation, or oh, I felt about 50% better, really like a big impact. That, that, that's the that. best sign. First that is the best sign. If you get massive pain release from that, pain relief from that, then you know that you are a good responder because you've taken out everything, yeah. body recovers real fast, like 50% in two days is like super good. And you know that then if you put the foods back in, which by nature are going to add some more calories, they add some digestion, like like load on the body, adding proteins back in and a very small amount of fats. These are things that are going to be a little hard for the body, even with the baseline foods. Mm. But you know that your body is off to a good start. And I love seeing that. Like, you know, that that's the best sign you can get is doing well in the cleanse. You know that you're going to have a, a very good opportunity to do well long term. Yeah. I mean, it was really encouraging, obviously. And then it was slower progress from there. Like it felt like there was a degree of improvement every day, but it was very small. And I was going on holiday, I think it was six weeks after I started and I just wanted to be able to join in with everyone. So it was kind of my my goal to be really good and get to that point. And I remember going on holiday and I was able to drive the car for about 50 minutes, which I hadn't been because my knee was so bad. I hadn't been able to. And I was able to get down and actually go down a couple of slides um, and silly little things that I just were like a bit of a, OK, I'm obviously getting somewhere with this. And then... It probably took me about four months to get to a point where I could start going back to spin class and start doing more normal things again. I'd been doing, because um, I haven't got a Bikram yoga place near me, but I've been doing a YouTube Bikram yoga at home. And I'd do half an hour, the standing half an hour in the morning and the, on the floor half an hour at night because I couldn't get down in the morning to do the, the bit on the floor. And that really helped, really helped, especially with my knee, um, because I was worried that the knee would be something that wouldn't go down because it was so inflamed. And that took the longest. Um, and I was also worried about it ha had I done any permanent damage to my knee or. But then by Christmas, um, I just had a few pains in my fingers. So from August to Christmas. Goodness. What a result. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. Did, did you notice that your improvements started to accelerate once you were able to go back to your spin class? Yes. And when I was able to introduce more foods eventually, um, the process was absolutely key to, I believe that doing that elimination style diet is what I needed at that time. Even if I'd just gone straight onto a strict plant-based diet, I don't think it would have worked as well as that elimination style. That's right. Um, it's really what my body needed at the time. Um, but once I was able to reintroduce oats and things like that and able to go back to doing more exercise, the last month or so is when, yeah, I saw major improvements. Mm. Yeah, the baseline, what it does, you know, I use the metaphor of when the house is on fire, don't let it burn. You know, you've got to quickly put out the flames because otherwise it just gets out of control. 
So when the house is on fire and you've got a lot of inflammation, you must intervene. We can't get the body out of a highly inflamed state by just making a small change. We have to get back to baseline. We have, For me, it was back to baseline and off to the gym or off to yoga class and just do a massive intervention, even if it's just for a day or two, because the inflammation cascades. Inflammation in the joints is simultaneously present with inflammation in the gut, which causes more leakiness. So we've got this situation where you can't get out of inflammation by just hoping it'll go away. It just It will not. It only progresses. So we've got to intervene. And so you intervened by starting off. You got rid of 50% of your inflammation in two days. So then you were starting at a low platform and then you kept inflammation low, not as low, but low um, by introducing the necessary foods because we have to eat. Okay. And then so um, you're able to keep below a threshold in which the disease kind of self-perpetuates. And that's the key, you know, because um, uh, high inflammation levels, uh, it's just it's just not going to be able to be pulled down enough um, if we just tinker around the edges. Yeah. No, it definitely is what gave me the great results, I think. And then at Christmas, I had some blood tests done with just the GP services and they did it. And I was just hoping to be below five because that's what they class as normal. But it came back as one. And um, I was absolutely ecstatic with that because it was better than I thought. I still had a few um, issues with a couple of fingers, but I knew I was doing really well. And then I was like, okay, I've got this good result, but I need to find a way to like live like this now because I was still being extremely strict with my diet. Like I'd introduced quite a bit, but not everything. So I decided to see how I, I knew I had an appointment in May with my rheumatologist. So I was like, okay, I need to just get another good result then. And then I know I'm on like a winning track. Um, so I have the last three months, four months, I would say I've been able to live how I could live the rest of my life. Like I've found a lifestyle and a diet that I'm very happy to carry on. I don't feel restrictive with it. I've got used to habits and the foods I eat. And I'm really glad because when I went back um, in May, my CRP was under one. So it obviously slightly improved. And just knowing that means that what I'm doing works and I can do that. I can do what I'm doing for the rest of my life. So um, that was a really big result. Mm. And you wrote an email to what did you say in the email when you come out of that? <laughs> come out of the yeah, rheumatologist. Yeah, I was crying. <laughs> um, yeah, I was so ecstatic. Um, I think the rheumatologist was like, oh my gosh, because I was just there like, oh, this is the best news. And he was being uh, cautiously optimistic. He was really pleased and was like, you know, I can't, because I was saying, can I, run can I can I go back to running what can I do and he was like look you've got no inflammation I can't tell you not to do anything you know he was like this is really good but if you have problems come back to me and you will have to go on medication so he was really I saw a change in him before he had been quite like uh downbeat about things and this time he was quite smiling quite like wow okay um this is really good but, and I'd said I'd changed my lifestyle and I'd changed my, my diet, 
And he just said, he didn't want to, or didn't ask about specifics, but he just said, keep doing what you're doing. Isn't it just crazy? I mean, it's just crazy. Imagine your (laughs) only job is to try and help people with inflammatory arthritis and someone walks in and says, I got rid of mine. And they said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you did. I don't want to know what you did. Just do what you're doing. That that like blows my mind. Like my head's going to explode. It's just that crazy to (laughs) not ask, to not ask, what did you do? I know. I know. And I'm hoping that when I go back in a year and my results are still good, that's when I can really have a conversation. Because I think he's still thinking that I'm going to come back to him at some point. Well, statistic, Um, statistic, statistically speaking, that he's right because um, most people, if they get a very, very temporary uh, relief of symptoms, do get the symptoms back. But he's never had a client or a patient who does what you do. Okay, so so you know when you've got the elixir of like how to keep this thing at. Uh, under control, then you're going to be a very different patient of his than anyone he's ever seen. And so, look, we had a discussion earlier about the the dangers of oils at restaurants in particular. And so uh, what, you know, you need to be careful about and, and I and everyone with this condition have to be careful about is not to step on those landmines. They exist. They're all around us. These food dangers are everywhere. And so, yes, um, to, to go back in and to complete the cycle and have that conversation with him and and not in a smug way but in a in a satisfied and a and a proud to be you kind of way uh, you can say well yeah I, I I believe I've done really well and 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 this is what I've done but when that time comes uh, also don't expect many um, questions or or much interest because they are driven by medical evidence and uh, published um, recommendations from the science. And so anyone who's changing their diet in a way that they don't know anything about um, just gets quickly dismissed. It's not something that they feel that they can recommend to other patients, unfortunately, because it's outside of the norm. And uh, it's very driven by convention, rules and standards, because we're talking about very dangerous drugs. Uh, and, and so then, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, great care and uh, and stuff goes on in the education process that needs to be adhered to, uh, not flippantly recommending people go vegan or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah, mm. yeah, sure. No, I completely um, understand. And to be honest, to be fair on him, he's not, there could have been a rheumatologist that really pushed me onto the drugs early on. Mm. And so I'm really grateful that he could see from the beginning that I didn't want to rush onto them. And being the age I am, I possibly might want more children, etc. So he was very kind of like gave me breathing space and time, which I'm grateful for. But I do want to go back I'm, and really try this year not to slip up. Because as you said, it's so easy to just go, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm going to go and um, have this meal or that meal or just this will be fine now. And it's kind of keeping it in your head that you could easily go back to where you were mm. because I still have occasionally, like if I, I don't know if I have a tiny bit of oil in or something, I can feel it in my fingers the next day a little bit. It's good because it's a constant reminder to me to, okay, no, just mm. stick to what you're doing. Don't push it too far. That, that, that's right. 
Um, and that little bit of reminder is okay. It's when it, it it's when it becomes it can stick. You know, it can if you have enough of a bad thing too often, or enough of it in one single meal, then the body suddenly the inflammation's back, and it's damn hard to get rid of. I'm thinking of some other examples in my mind uh, of other people, and so you know, unfortunately, all the good work that has been done can be unravelled with one very, very poor meal choice. So whilst that's just insane to think about, that is the case and there's a lot of work to be done thereafter to get back on track, whether it be a week like I talked about um, with someone else uh, or, or in other cases longer, much longer. So well done. Uh, loved hearing that really positive story. Let's talk about the foods that you were able to reintroduce and I'll, I'll give you a score yeah. out of 10 on how uh, robust, I think your current diet is, and we'll talk about maybe some tweaks. So, talk us through breakfast, okay. snack, lunch, snack, dinner. Okay, so um, breakfast in the morning. So rather than just having the celery and cucumber juice by itself, because <laughs> I did find that I know some people said it was fine, but I found that quite difficult to drink. I have started adding it to. Um, a smoothie. So I'll put it in, I'll juice it and then I'll put it in with um, frozen banana, frozen mango. I'll blend it with a peeled zucchini, um, some spinach, chia seeds, spirulina. Yeah. And I'll just blend that up and have it with some berries on top for breakfast. I don't tend to have anything in the morning as a snack, but for lunch, I'll always have quinoa. It's pretty much my go-to 90% of the time. And I'll have quinoa with lentils, um, whatever vegetables I have in the fridge, turmeric. Um, I might have some nutritional yeast. I'll stop putting that. Maybe some miso paste. And then for the afternoon snack, I love date bars. I love, but I make sure if I have a date bar, it's not got oil in it. <laughs> um, or I make my own um, with just dried fruit, um, a bit of cacao, chia seeds almonds and so I'll have that as like a snack but not too much of it if I eat too much then I'll feel it in my stomach but a small amount and then for dinner I will have like some sweet potato fries but baked with no oil um, maybe some beans or lentils some vegetables and then in the evening I normally have um, some coconut milk with cacao blended what as time, like a what hot time chocolate that? that's like late at night is it before bed. Yeah. Cause otherwise I can't sleep if I'm hungry. So I tend to have something like that before I go to sleep. Some mornings I'll have porridge otherwise, uh, and I'll put like linseed in it. So yeah, that's, I eat pretty much the same thing all the time. So that's roughly the type of things I eat. Um, yeah. Well, sounds delicious. Like you said, you've got lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of nice tasting foods in there. I would say if there was a couple of adjustments that I personally would make just to be a little bit more conservative or a little bit um, uh, avoiding risk and then not in what you're eating. Uh, it's just a little bit to yeah. do with food combinations. So I would not ever do a trail mix style meal, which is uh, fruits, sugars and fats. Uh, this is not a good mix. Okay. Um, and that exists, I think you said late afternoon, you have some um, uh, some dates and then you also have some cacao and then you have uh, was it nuts in there? Yeah, like blended together. Blended together. So into like 
Yeah. Whilst, one of these things that's very common, okay, so trail mix. I mean, you buy it and you think, okay, I'm getting all these fruits and little dried fruits and stuff. The problem with it comes back to this a concept that I haven't talked about yet that I've been researching for about the last four or five months, and I'm about to give a presentation to people in my support group about the concept of oxidative stress, and I'm going to be talking a lot more about it. But there's an aspect of adding free radical load to our body that comes from these things called advanced glycation end products, and they're, they're behind the whole concept of the human body and its aging process. And it's just a coincidence, a pure coincidence, that the acronym for the aging process components or end products are ages. Okay, so A G E advanced okay. glycation end products. Now they are de- they are outcomes of sugar to fat and sugar to protein interactions. So when these molecules interact after digestion, you get these advanced glycation end products, and these add a a a, a free radical load to the body, which slowly but surely just, you know, takes its toll on the body. There's one excellent publication on this which goes through all the common foods and looks at the advanced glycation end product score of all the different foods and so on. And so they they are foods on their own. But when, when foods are combined poorly, not only can it lead to bad digestion, which we explored in a previous podcast with a guy called Shamiz who recovered from ulcerative colitis. Anyone who's got like digestive issues, bloating, gas, cramping, all this sort of stuff should go and watch that episode with Shamiz, ulcerative colitis uh, recovery story. He talks about the food combining from a point of view of just healthy, di- happy digestion. From a point of view of wanting to avoid this oxidative stress, which also comes from the oils, which is not, it does, the oils don't just cause more leaky gut in, and also add more of a, a, uh, arachidonic acid load because of the, uh, the inflammation pathways. Um, it's not just those things going on. The oils add this oxidative stress, which then, uh, degrades the, the proteins in the cells, which then become immunoreactive. So there's a whole actual driving process for the inflammation behind this free radical load and the free radical load can be increased when we consume lots of sugars with fats and sugars with mm. proteins and so this is where i would just offer a word of caution and whilst you aren't doing it very badly in fact i can only see two instances of it i personally like shamiz don't like putting fats in in sugary smoothies like chia seeds in in smoothies or f- flax seeds in smoothies. Oh, okay. I don't I don't yeah. like that. My body never did well on it from day 1 and when I got rid of those from my smoothies I instantly had a stepwise improvement. But obviously okay. I don't take everything teach everything just because it happened to me. I see it as a result of this process of fats and sugars shouldn't shouldn't go together like that. Um of course, we're only talking probably about a teaspoon of chia, right? I don't imagine you're putting in like tablespoons of chia, but no. in your after, in your afternoon <laughs> yeah. snack, it's a little bit more, mm. a little bit closer to the edge. So I want mm. you in a year's time to to nail this right, and so I'm going into a yeah. fair bit of detail here on your particular diet so that you can uh, get a, a great result. And what I would do is. If your morning is a little bit light, like if your morning feels a little little light in terms of food consumption, 
and you've had a really, really high enzyme, easy to digest smoothie at breakfast with your, you know, your banana, you've got your spirulina and all that stuff in there, you probably could be hungry by 10, 30, 11. And you could have your yeah. cacao, have your cacao um, with your nuts, if it was the nuts, have them in mid-morning and, um, and have them on their own. Just have the fatty foods okay. on their own, the nuts mid-morning. And then later on the afternoon, yeah. if you're feeling peckish again, have a big handful of dates on their own. Fine. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah see okay. you through the afternoon. No, that's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah, In really fact- good because actually I have found that if I eat too much of um, too many, too much of the date bar combination, the next day my stomach will hurt. Um, it definitely causes stomach issues the next day. If that's I have too much of it. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, because the sugars are trying to get absorbed instantly in the bloodstream and the fats need to go very slowly through the stomach into the small intestine and then bile has to be released. Enzymes have to come out of your pancreas to mix together to break down those fats, which take a long time to break down. But sugars, boom, straight into the bloodstream. So we can have mm. sugars with carbohydrates, okay, because they're both the same thing. Sugars can go with carbohydrates really nicely because carbohydrates are just a whole bunch of chains of sugars linked together, all right? And so you've got some that fast absorb if they're just on their own and some that slow absorb if they're all linked to others. So a perfect meal is a bowl of oatmeal, which is complex sugars, with a whole bunch of blueberries and strawberries and some banana because they're the simple sugars. And so you've got no digestive issue whatsoever. Everything, you, your body takes some of the simple sugars and then absorbs some of the more complex sugars as it goes further through the body. And you've got this beautiful synergy of, of sustained energy and all of the fruits help to break down and digest the rest of the food as well because of the phytonutrients in the berries in particular. When I say break down, they offset any of the oxidative stress load that I highlighted before. So rather than contributing to it by matching sugars and fats and sugars and proteins, what we're actually doing is we're, we're decreasing and minimizing it by putting things together where they offset each other. So that breakfast I've just described is absolutely brilliant. Now you could also have oats with your smoothie. You could have your banana smoothie with all the great, I love that smoothie and it's probably done so much good things for you that we don't want to take that out. Um, you could have that alongside your oats and um, it offers that kind of offset to otherwise a fairly, oats can be a little bland and it can offset that. I put some brown sugar on oats and I see no problem with okay. a little sugar on, on the oats as well as, as the berries that I, I talked about. So there's some ideas okay. around breakfast, yeah, around fo- food combining. And for example, my breakfast I've just described, then I'll have mid, mid-morning mid nuts on their own. So I'll have a handful of almonds and some uh, Brazil nuts. It depends on, you know, what nuts I have uh, in the house at the time. Uh, and then lunch, similar to yourself, it's often like a, a leftover from the night before in our house. Uh, so it's, you know, it's like something on rice normally, or I eat a qu- from time to time quite a quite a, a bit of bread. So I'll have oat sourdough with no oil um, that's made in a traditional kind of baking process. So like carb heavy, you know, like oats, um, breads, you know, potatoes, sweet potatoes. These are like the foundation of most of my meals. And then in the afternoon yeah. before I go to the gym or yoga, 
I'll just eat dates just like yourself, maybe a banana or something like that. Just some, just a basically a, a, some easy, easy calories. And then for dinner, uh, you know, carbohydrate heavy kind of meal with, yeah. And if I want to have it with a glass of orange juice, again, no problem because you're not mixing okay. the sugars with something too protein rich or, or too fat rich. But if okay. I have, if I have, say, if I'm going to have rice and dal, for dinner, and I know this sounds a little bit, uh, a lot of attention to detail, but this is what I've found for the secret of success is it's all in the detail. I'll have my orange juice before the meal if I want to have a, a sweet thing before oh. the meal because I used to get a lot of cramping and then abdominal pain by having an orange juice towards the end of a meal that had quite a lot of protein in it. And it would like those things would just not go well together. And I'd get like yeah. stomach cramps. Mm. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah I I know that it's uh, food combining is something that I want to look into because I do occasionally. Although my stomach problems are a lot better in general, if I eat something that is a bit possibly bad in terms of food combining, I will get stomach issues still. Um, so that's really interesting. Do you ever push the boat out even more? Would you have you ever had a glass of alcohol or anything since you? I have. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. see, like, I'm not an advocate of alcohol consumption for health. It's not a healthy thing to do. Mm. But uh, surprisingly, if you're out at a restaurant, a glass of wine could potentially be the least harmful thing to your rheumatoid arthritis that you have. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. If That's interesting. If you're about to follow that up with some oily side of, of, of vegetables and an oily curry or something, yeah, you, yeah. If you'd have stopped at the red wine, you might have done just fine. So, what I've I've noticed myself, and I haven't drank for several years, but last the times that I have had a glass of red wine at a restaurant in the past, I've experienced absolutely no repercussions whatsoever. Okay. And clients who have asked about alcohol when I have recommended that if they're going to drink anyway, why not just have a glass of red wine? Have consistently said that it doesn't have an impact on them. Red wine has polyphenols, oh, okay. antioxidants in there. We know that alcohol, it's used for sterilization of medical instruments before surgeries, okay? It kills bacteria. It's a, a alcohol yeah. kills bacteria. So we don't want to be putting things that kill bacteria into our microbiome, right? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, yeah. But I do feel that um red wine is a little unique in that sense and we tend to Eh, get away with it. So, look, I'm not okay. advocating it. I'm just saying that if people are cheating and they want to cheat here and there on something that doesn't have terrible consequences, then if you feel like you'll stay with the program by only having a glass of red wine once a month, then, yeah, if it keeps you going, go for it, you know? Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but not beer. Not beer. That does not apply not to beer. beer and it doesn't oh, no. apply to skin. No. <laughs> Red, red, red wine is uh, is is the only thing that I consider to be occasionally non detrimental. I think it's just more the social aspect of it, which I'm sure you hear over and over again, that mm. can be um, a little bit difficult because people just think that you're being a bit awkward or I don't know, possibly stuck up or something because they don't understand the story. So you'd be like, oh, I can't eat this, and now I can't drink, and um, yeah. 
I think that it's learning to be quite self-confident and knowing your own mind. But at the same time, it it can be a little bit awkward sometimes if you can't have anything. (laughs) It's funny, you know, it's interesting that I have another couple of clients around your age, also in the UK, London, yeah? And it really strikes me the importance of the social aspect of London, it seems, and uh, and certainly with your age bracket and so on. Um, that's not to say it wasn't exactly the same as me, and I'd be asking the same exact sort of questions or have the same concerns. Uh, when I got hit with this at 31, I continued to uh, have, I think, a year or two before I reined it all in. Um, and I think, uh, you know, being 33, 34, um, you know, whilst you're partying, for most people hasn't certainly uh, stopped. Uh, you know, it's certainly in the 20s where you want to do your most going out and socialising and and so on, um, especially in a, a nice, like, you know, socially busy city and exciting city like London or or Sydney and so on. So but what I'm saying is I didn't have to deal with it head on too much um, and and my thoughts around it would be you could have a sparkling water without really causing too much or if any issues. It's just a little bit acidifying. It's just carbonated water, a little acidifying for the body, but nothing, nothing that's going to bother you just here and there. You could, um, you know, if you chose the places to go, some of these nice restaurants and bars offer evening food service alongside the drinks canapes they offer you know places like uh, tapas and stuff like that if you went to a place that you know had you know this late night like food service you could get like you know a plate of mixed berries or something that sounds a little weird for late at night but you could get something that if you snacked on and participated in socially would have no health detriment so it's about preparation and where are you going to meet with your friends? Well, you choose the place that you've researched and, you've, and you're sure about. That's the key, that you're in control. That comes back to this phrase that I have. We need to have complete confidence and control over our condition, but it also extends to our circumstances because once circumstances get out of control, our symptoms can get out of control. So that's, uh, that's the thing. So don't... Uh, go into a cave and become, you know, antisocial, uh, just look for ways in which you can do it that meets your specific and very, very important requirements because your health is crucial and don't let anyone get in the way or mess with it. So it can be done. And I reckon that your friends would think this is pretty cool if you said, hey, hey, girls, let's go and I've got a place I'd like to go to and I'd like to go this this time and I've booked booked a uh, booked a room and you organize it it's easy for them they just have to show up and they know that you're happy and that makes them happy and they're relaxed because yeah. you're relaxed and and then they didn't have to yeah. do any work so it can be done you just have to be very cautious about where you choose to go okay okay mm. thank you <laughs> so um, are there any aspects of the program that you felt were were super crucial that you noticed that if you didn't do the symptoms would not improve and other aspects that you felt uh, maybe not so much. So just like if you were to coach someone through this, what would you list as most important? Um, okay. So, yeah, I would say that doing the Patterson program, like I said earlier, 
with the first few steps was crucial, especially if you're in a, like a lot of pain, have a lot of inflammation. Using that system was really crucial to me. I would say getting some movement in, doing the Bikram yoga at home really helped my joints. And then when I could, doing more exercise was really crucial. Um, sticking to it 100% in the beginning, really committing to it. Um, getting rid of some stress in your life, if you've got stress, like that definitely affects me. Um, so even if that means shifting things around in your life, like putting your health as a priority for a while, um, I know that the last year I've been sort of delving into minimalism a little bit and trying to declutter my life, like not just my home, but my life and learning to say no to things I don't want to do and not crowding my life or my schedule too much. And just putting mine and my family's health as absolute key number one. And then other things can slot into that. Um, so yeah, just taking it seriously and getting your mindset right. I've read a lot of um, books around it, like looks at different doctors that talk about it, different interviews, um, because there's no one else in your life that you know that is going through this. It can feel very lonely and people will just be like, well, why can't you just have a bit of this or come on, just have a little bit of that. So immersing yourself in research and reading books, looking at um, interviews, re uh, listening to podcasts, anything you can do that makes you feel like what you're doing is 100% right and you're on the right track will get your head in the right, like your mind in the right headspace. I've started reading some like personal development books as well. Um, so one I'm reading at the moment is Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And that's really helped me just kind of clarify what I'm doing is right and that 90% of people won't achieve the goals that they set out to achieve and that if you want to be the 5% that do achieve and do do really well you are going to have to do things slightly differently to maybe the people around you so um yeah just getting your mindset right is absolutely key the program will do everything else but if you get your mindset right and follow the program you'll be fine mm, that's fantastic yeah, so many cool things in there that you're doing to uh, augment just the food and exercise component. Mindset is so crucial. And and support, I'm guessing that you get a lot of uh, interpersonal support as well to, to help you through this? Yeah, so my partner's really um, been absolutely amazing. My, my family, although they don't always understand why I'm doing it, they're completely supportive of it. Um, I've got some friends that have been really good and on New Year's, my friends made me like a, a vegetable, um, bean casserole thing and everyone else had the meat. So, um, I've had some lovely support from it, even if people are like, what are you doing? They've been so lovely. Um, but there are always occasions where it's more difficult. And I think having the right mindset to be strong and say, no, this is what I'm doing is is crucial yeah mm. and whenever i'm faced and this doesn't happen so much anymore but i used to get faced by the biggest challenges which were family pressures um, we'd have like a christmas lunch and i'd be eating buckwheat and quinoa while everyone else is eating mm. you know your classic family meal at christmas time uh, obviously melissa wasn't but um 
After one year of that, then Melissa got the entire family at all social events to eat vegan, like at every event. So oh, really? she pulled off what I considered to be like the most uh, wow. un- unbelievable change in our family get-togethers. And so that was huge, um, especially my my parents, you know, they've been farmers all their lives and uh, grew up on a farming environment. And uh, my sister uh, and her husband and kids uh, are by no means um, vegan, but they, they eat healthy from a Western point of view. But, you know, this was a big change for us. So after the first year, uh, we had everyone having vegan, like birthday get togethers and vegan Christmases and stuff. So it was wow. a big, big shot to the end. Hey, my grandmother had never, ever tasted a black bean. So she'd never had beans. Really? And, and was it lentils? I don't think she's ever had lentils. And uh, when she was 90 or something, we had lentils. And and M- Melissa would tell this story better than mine. But I think that she reached out. She was saying not much uh, at the at, at, uh, towards the end of her life. Um, and she just said, can I have more or something? And Melissa never <laughs> forgot it. Because she wanted more oh. of the lentils or something, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. She, she never had it in her life, right? So, um, wow. and so that that was phase one for us. But then phase two was me then not even eating like the rest of the family. It was me on my simple meals as I got more and more involved in how to heal and not just sort of get by. And they were the weird times. They were like when family were like. What what is that? Like, what's on your plate? And and you know the whole can, can't you just have a little bit of this and a little bit, especially when can't you just have a little bit of steamed broccoli? And I'm like, nah, I just don't want to taste to eat anything yet that I don't that I don't don't I'm not sure about you know. So anyway, and then the family ultimately, what ultimately happens is everyone gets used to it, and they're just like Clint yeah. does his thing, you know, he has to eat in a certain way, and everyone shrugs and gets on with it. And that's it. Yeah. And when everyone get just yeah. and when everyone just shrugs and gets on with it, yeah, it's 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 pretty easy actually. And in fact, people then ultimately, as we all get older, and everyone just keeps eating wrong and gets sicker and gets their health problems. Everyone gets niggles of some. Everyone in your family is going to have some niggles and problems and pains and aches and 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 all sorts of stuff. They all they'll all say to you, um. I've got this thing like what should I do how, should, how can I like eat a little bit better and and you end up being not the weird one but the source of knowledge <laughs> okay yeah yeah it turns around it takes oh, a few amazing. years it takes a few years yeah <laughs> but you end up being the source of knowledge and uh and it's best only to speak when questioned on this topic because no one while you're the yeah. weird one then any comments yeah. from the weird one will be considered weird. But when they go to you <laughs> with their problems, then you've got an opportunity to to, to make some changes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I I don't bring it up too often um, because I'd rather people ask me and then I'm quite happy to talk about it. I've always found it a little bit difficult to talk about as well. I don't know why, but if I start talking about my arthritis, I sort of clam up a little bit and I just feel a bit I don't know, nervous talking about it is quite a personal thing and a personal journey that I hid for a long time. I didn't want people to know that I was sick and I felt like I'm young, I need to be vibrant and healthy and I hid it. So talking about it can be quite difficult. But I went on holiday with um, some of my family and again, my family are from a farming background. So the idea of me being vegan was 
um, quite um, quite different for them. Um, <laughs> but they have been really great. They know why I'm doing it. And um, they've even tried some of my meals. Um, my mum in particular has been really trying to cut down on her meat and dairy because um, she's got a few of her own issues. And um, I've been really surprised because I thought that they were going to start questioning me or you know um, not being too happy about it but they see the changes for the positive and as I get better they're more sort of you know just do what you're doing you know we support you so, so that's Great. good. It's fabulous and while you were speaking uh, you know it gave me uh, reminded me one thing that's helped with my family particularly my mum and dad um, is when the foods taste great that's when they get really interested. So they come visit us and then they'll eat foods that Melissa makes. And I would say every other meal they have, dad asks mum to get the recipe from Melissa so that they can oh, make yeah. it. Yeah, they're totally into it because the food tastes so good. And I think that it's hard to, you know, when you're being driven by your taste buds, uh, the brain pays attention. You know, it's like, hmm, I like yeah. this. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to, I need more of this. So I think that's, that's one of the, the keys too. If we're able to pre- prepare the meal so they taste really well, then other people uh, feel that it's actually, uh, it's compelling. It's like a magnet to want to eat it as opposed to the weird thing. And obviously it's hard at the start. Like I talked about uh, when I was on like just buckwheat and quinoa and stuff, obviously no one wants to join in on that. But once you get beyond that, and 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 we do, uh, then you're able to uh, to to have more uh, more enticing things that people want to take part of. So we've just come yeah. up to close to the hour mark. So we've we've uh, had a nice long conversation here. So perhaps it's, we're getting close to uh, to wrapping this up. Is there anything that you wanted to um, add that you feel has been helpful for you, or any other tips or words of wisdom? Uh, parting comments before we go. I think just trust in the process. Um, trust in the process and take your time. Like it's easy to want results like tomorrow. But when I, at the time, it felt like I was only improving by a tiny bit every day and it can be quite frustrating. But you need to have in your mind that you're going to get better. For some reason, I knew from the beginning that I wasn't going to have this forever. I just knew that this can't be it. Like, having that steel like determination and visualizing yourself without it. And then actually you look back and it's gone so quickly. Mm. Like a year seems like a long time, but it's not. And you can make massive progress in, in just a year. So yeah, just keep positive, um, celebrate every small little change and improvements and you will soon see big improvements. Yeah, I love that because, you know, like 1%, 1% improvement every month uh, adds up to a lot at the end of the year. If we get 12, because it's compound as well, we're not just 1% plus 1%, it's 1% plus 1% plus the portion that we just advanced in that last month. So, you know, even if we only did 12% improvement in a year, let's say someone's had this condition for, for 10, 20, 30 years, if you can improve 10%, 12% in a year, come on, that's like the opposite of the constant degradation and worsening that's happened every uh, every year up until this point. So, you know, and most of us can do better than 1% a month, most of us. Uh, so uh, you've obviously done a lot better than that, which uh, is, is just fabulous. And uh, keep up the great work. 
and uh, update me well, again if you make yeah. some of those food changes and see whether or not you can completely get rid of the little, little you mentioned, a little bit of sort of pain the next day from some of those food combinations. You might find that, that, that just, just making those tweaks uh, may not only fix the digestive pains but also give you that, you know, I feel a little bit more of the long-term uh, safety that that we're we're, we're looking for. Mm. Okay, no, thank you so much, and thank you so much for everything you do because it's made such a big impact on my life. So yeah, just thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for sharing your story and for inspiring other people. It means a lot to me to be able to you know hear your story and to share it to encourage other people to make choices that not just good for their health but saves the planet and stops uh, you know cruelty to animals. So. Thanks so much, and yeah. uh, we'll stay in touch online. All right. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.